if uh, some good good conversations happen, and that's all, that's always good. Well, good morning, everyone. If I haven't had a chance to uh, meet you yet, my name is Tyson. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Callwood Church. And uh, thanks so much for taking time to be with us on this Sunday morning. Um, if you weren't with us last week, Pastor Sean kicked off his message by taking us to the magical land of Veggie Tales. And I was laughing as he did because I was starting to prepare for this week's message, and I was also planning to take us to the magical land of VeggieTales. And neither of us had talked about it. I don't think I've ever talked about VeggieTales in a message before, but both of us were inspired by these talking vegetables. And if you didn't grow up a Christian in the 90s or 2000s, you probably don't know what VeggieTales are. But it was a show that taught us Bible lessons using talking fruits and vegetables. Groundbreaking stuff. And in one episode, we meet a character called Madam Blueberry. And in the story, Madam Blueberry is very wealthy. She has a great deal of possessions in her home, but she is still sad because there are so many things that she does not yet own. And one day she's crying about all the things she doesn't own and doesn't have yet. And she looks out the window and her butler looks out the window with her and she sees that there is a new store being built called Stuff Mart. Yeah, great name for a business. Soon three salesmen from the store come to her door and they use a catchy song to try and convince her to go on a shopping spree. If you want a big hat, we got that. If you need a tube of glue, we got that too. A 20-gallon wok, they're in stock. And if you need a refrigerator to keep extra mashed potatoes, that's enough. <laughs> I could keep going, but I won't. For your sake and mine. And the song concludes like this. Happiness waits at the stuff mart. All you need is lots more stuff. I can see some of you mouthing along with me. This is good. And Madam Blueberry hears this song, and she is convinced so she heads to the store and goes on this incredible shopping spree, taking almost one of everything from the store. And at the end of the episode, when everything is delivered from her shopping spree to her house that is built up in a tree, her house actually comes crashing down because of the weight of all of the stuff that she owns. It's a tragic ending to the story, but there's a silver lining that we'll come back to in a little bit. It does not seem, as a way of introduction, that Madam Blueberry was familiar with the passage that we are going to be looking at today as we conclude our Relationship Over Rule series. It comes from Exodus chapter 20, and it's the last of the Ten Commandments, or words that God has given to Israel to help define their relationship and distinguish Israel from the other nations around them. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's the passage that we're going to take a look at today, but would you pray with me as we've read God's word? God, thanks so much for this opportunity that we have to conclude talking about uh, the Ten Commandments and words that you have given to Israel. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we spend this time together today looking at coveting, that you would open up our hearts to hear the word that you want to speak to us. And that, Jesus, you would take and use my words to ultimately point all of us back to you, Lord, so that we would walk out of this place today um, reflecting your love more and more to this world around us. Thank you, Jesus, for, for these words. And uh, with all this time together this morning, 
be glorifying to you and would be also beneficial to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, you might hear this VeggieTales story about Madame Blueberry and go, how could she be so foolish? A simple little rap convinced her to go on a shopping spree? Couldn't she see how much she had at home and all that she had to be thankful for? Well, the truth is, while we might think that we're much wiser, and we, we are actually very easily influenced too, we're far less rational than we think, and we make many more irrational and impulse-based decisions than we realize. One of the first modern thinkers to kind of argue this was Sigmund Freud. Now, Freud had a lot of very interesting ideas that I don't necessarily agree with, but I think Freud was bang on with this one. He was contrary to many thinkers of his time, saying not so fast to the idea that we are just rational beings. Instead, he argued that we are often run by what we call unconscious drives, which are kind of automatic impulses in our bodies. What he was talking about is what neuroscientists today would call our primal brain or what the New Testament writers might call our flesh. And because of that, we often make decisions not based on rationally our looking through the evidence and figuring out what is the best decision to make, but instead we make decisions based on our desires. And Freud's work was actually taken so seriously by Hitler and the Nazis that he used it during World War II to manipulate people's unconscious drives through two most basic drives that we all have as human beings. I want and I fear. I want and I fear. And as an aside, this is often still today how many people in power try to manipulate and drive people. If this person is elected, you will lose all of your freedoms. They're playing off of I want my freedom and I fear losing it. And after the Second World War, Freud's nephew, Edward Bernays, took Freud's ideas and he brought them to Madison Avenue, where business leaders and advertising agencies used these ideas to shape the buying habits of America in a post-World War II culture. Businesses and bankers teamed up to try to focus on how they could get people to spend more and buy more stuff to help stimulate the world's economy and help it rebound after the World War. It's really not that different from Stuff Mart's song from earlier. And Paul Mazur of Lehman Brothers said this, we must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. And this gets to the heart of the matter. Whether we realize it or not, we are being marketed to not on an intellectual level. Ad agencies aren't going after what we need. They are speaking to what we want, our desires. And companies spend billions of dollars every year not only trying to appeal to our desires, but to also shape them. I mean, I'm not above this. Every time a new iPhone comes out, I'm excited about it. I want to get it, regardless of how old mine is. I know that the next Apple event is on September 15th, and I can't wait to see if the USB-C is in the next phone. I know, all of you Android people are like, USB-C has been in Android forever. <laughs> but I'm excited about the next Apple iPhone. Whether we realize it or not, we are being shaped, or I would argue discipled, at a desire-based level. 
And this is why this commandment, do not covet, is actually such a profound and important one for us still today. This commandment goes straight to our hearts, while all other commands that we've looked at may describe behavior, like do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. This one is not talking about behavior at all. This command is talking about what our hearts are attracted to. It's talking about the motives and the desires of our hearts. And it's one thing to try and shift behavior. You might be able to say, hey, I'm struggling with lying, but I'm going to really get some willpower. I'm going to work at it, and I'm going to try and stop lying. But what do you do with this command? How do we change our heart's desires? I don't know if you've ever tried this before, but let's just say for an example, not one that's personal at all, say you really love ice cream. And say you just love ice cream so much that you're thinking about it and you can't wait to have more ice cream. Have you ever tried to just say, stop wanting ice cream, body? Stop wanting ice cream, heart? It doesn't work that way. You can't just change your feelings by saying stop to them. And this is what the 10th commandment reveals to us. It goes beyond just talking about stuff like we talked about with Stuff Mart and consumerism and a desire for possessions. It goes actually that shows us that the problem is much deeper than just doing the wrong things. The problem is that our hearts actually desire the wrong things. It's not just that we do the wrong things, we want the wrong things. Our hearts are disordered and we need new hearts. St. Augustine a long time ago said the problem is that you need a heart whose loves are reordered. What he means by reordered is, I can say I love ice cream, I can say I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, I can say I love my wife, I can say I love God. All of those things are good things. You might argue with me about the Pittsburgh Steelers, but that's okay. And there are many things in this world that are good and should be loved, but they are not all equally important. And my wife in the 9 a.m. said amen to that. There had better be an order of importance to those four things that I just mentioned. Our hearts love and desire things. That is a part of being human. But where we get into trouble is when our desires are out of order, when they become disordered. I have a two-year-old son right now, and one of his favorite things to do is to play blocks, or I should say more accurately, to knock down the blocks that I build. And one of the things that he'll say, he'll say, Dad, come, come play blocks. Dad, let's go build. Let's build blocks. Let's build a tower. One of the problems is sometimes he'll try to start a tower with a triangle block like this. And he'll say, Dad, build a tower. Well, how, how high of a tower can I really build if I'm starting with a triangle block like this? Or maybe he'll try and start with this one and say, Dad, build a tower on this, on this one. And we try and build this tower, and it doesn't work because we're starting with the wrong shape of block. And likewise, when there are good things in our hearts and in our lives that we try to build our lives around, that we try to use as the foundation for our lives, our lives are not going to go very far. They are going to be disordered or out of order because we have not put the proper things in the proper place in our heart. You can build a beautiful life and build a beautiful tower as long as you are putting the right things in the right place. And, you know, this triangle block is, has a purpose. It has a great one. I, that's a pretty good-looking tower right there, actually. <laughs> this triangle block has a purpose, and it is a good block, but it is not a good block to build a whole tower off of. 
And likewise, there are good things that God has placed into our lives, things that we can enjoy, things that we can look at and, and, and celebrate, but they are not to be built our lives around. This is what coveting is all about. It is about our desires being out of order. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way. This word coveting means a life-dominating, intense craving or desire for something. It means to stake your life on something. It means not just to want something, but to want something centrally. It means to invest the main part of your hopes, the main part of your happiness in something, to put your happiness and hope into something, most of it. That's what it means to covet. I think this idea is illustrated perfectly in a very famous series called Lord of the Rings. Do we have any Lord of the Rings fans in the room today? I love Lord of the Rings. It's such an epic story. And when Lindsay and I got married, she had not watched Lord of the Rings yet. And so I spent years trying to convince her, let's watch it, let's watch it. And finally, one day we were hanging out with some friends and, and Lindsay wanted to pick the movie for that night. And she was dead set on, we got to watch La La Land. Let's watch this movie tonight. And one of my friends had the great idea. He said, okay, you, we can watch that tonight, but we have to watch Lord of the Rings in exchange for that. And so she said, okay, that sounds good. And so she traded a two-hour movie for nine-plus hours of movies. <laughs> That's one of the best trades in my marriage. And the author of this series, Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, was a Christian. And in the 1950s, he had a reader who wrote to him asking about a central piece of his story. The one ring to rule them all. The ring that contained all the power. And, and Tolkien responded to this writer, who said, and he said this, This ring is a picture of human idolatry. When you love anything more than God, invest, as it were, your self-image and happiness in anything more than God. What you're actually doing is you're putting your power, a big part of your hope and happiness, in some external object. That's what you're doing. You're making an idol out of it. The whole point of this plot in, in the story and in the series is that Sauron, the big bad guy of the movie, has made this ring, but because he has put so much of his power in this ring, he is vulnerable. If the ring is destroyed, he is destroyed. And this is what can happen when we invest our hope and our self-image into something other than God. If anything goes wrong with it, we can also be destroyed along with it. If you're invested into making money and you stop making money, if you're invested in love and relationships and people stop desiring you, if you're invested in looks or your political cause or whatever it may be, a hobby that you really love, whatever you've put more important and central to your life than God becomes your ring of power. And this is ultimately what coveting is all about. We are putting our hope on something that was never designed to bear that weight. To use the block image, we are putting our hope on a triangle block that was never meant to be the foundation of a tower. If we take something that is good in life, like our work or a relationship or a hobby, and love it in a way that we should only love God, that is a disordered love. We are looking for our hope and our life to be found in something that will not ultimately deliver. And in the process, we might end up losing the very life that we are hoping for. And this is why discipleship to Jesus is not just about suppressing or trying to get rid of wrong desires, but it is about actually reorienting our hearts, cries, and longings back towards God. Here's the way James K.A. Smith puts it. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. 
He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. To put it another way, Jesus is not just after changed behaviors in our lives so that we avoid bad things and do good things. He is after a complete heart transformation in each one of us so that we not only do good things, but become the type of people who desire to do good and loving things. He is after our loves, our longing, and ultimately wants our lives to be aligned with his desires. Because all of us, whether we are aware of it or not, have a picture of the good life, have a picture of our goal that we are working towards. Here's the way Smith sums up this important idea. The place that we unconsciously strive towards is what ancient philosophers of habit called our telos, our goal, our end. But the telos that we live toward is nothing, not something that we primarily know or believe or think about. Rather, our telos is what we want, what we long for, what we crave. It is less an ideal that we have about ideas about and more a vision of the good life that we desire. So let me ask you this question today. What's your idea of the good life? If every dream and every hope that you had came true, what would change in your life? What is that tell us that you are ultimately aiming your life towards? Is there anything in your life that you say, I have to have that, and if I get that, everything will be perfect? Maybe it's at work, you're looking for that promotion, and if you get that promotion or that new job, everything will be perfect. Maybe it's just recognition at the job that you already have, and if your boss would just notice you more and give you that affirmation, then things would be better. Maybe it's money or financial gain. If I, if I simply make X amount more, everything will be better. Maybe it's relationships. If I find that one right person, then everything will be, be good and everything will click into place. Or maybe if you're honest today, if I simply found a different person than the one that I'm with, then maybe everything would be better. To go back to Madame Blueberry and Stuff Mart, if I simply got a new car, a new house, whatever it might be, then everything would be better. What would change in your life if all of your hopes and your dreams came true? And we might think that everything will be perfect if we get everything that we want. But what we actually often find is that it leaves us more empty than before. In the New Testament, Jesus puts it this way. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Other translations put it as their very soul. This is the reason why coveting is such a big deal to God because he does not want your life to be aimed at a telos, at a vision of the good life that will not deliver what you are hoping for and looking for. He does not want us to live lives enslaved towards something that will ultimately not bring us life. And this is the main theme of the Exodus story. Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians and God hears their cries for help and delivers them. That is the character of our God today. And still, to this day, God wants to set us free from the Egypts that try to enslave us today. And one of the biggest ones that we can be enslaved to without even realizing it is the Egypt of more. More money, more stuff, more career advancement, more relationships, whatever you might fill in after the more. 
Any of these things can be good, but they can slowly drift in our hearts to becoming the ultimate thing that our hearts desire and place all of our hope and happiness in. And ultimately, this takes us back to the very first two commandments that we looked at. That good thing can become an idol in our heart, which can then ultimately become the God that we worship. Andy Crouch says this about idols. Idols start by asking little and deliver much. But over time, that switches. They ask for everything and deliver nothing. They start by promising everything, asking for nothing, but eventually they deliver nothing and ask for everything. Maybe you've experienced this before. You've gone down a path, and at first it feels so great. Everything is clicking, everything feels great, but after a short period of time, it starts to demand more and more from you and actually give you less and less. And eventually one day you wake up and go, why am I even doing this anymore? It's not delivering anything. It's not helping me. It's actually making my life more weighed down and more difficult. And this is exactly the type of outcome that God is trying to save us from. God does not want us to live towards a vision of the good life or a telos that will ultimately not deliver. Idols always promise more than they can deliver and they never leave us feeling truly satisfied. And this is why coveting may seem small, but ultimately it leads us to things that do not bring us life. So how do we respond when we see this in ourselves? when we see that we have disordered desires in our hearts, when we see that maybe we are building our hearts and our lives and our desires around something that isn't God at the center, what do we do? The first thing that I would say is this, when your heart longs for more, check who's at the door. It's cheesy, so hopefully you can remember it. Genesis 4, 7 God says this to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Church, we have talked about throughout this series, we have an enemy who is described in the New Testament roaring around like a lion. He wants to steal, to kill, and destroy. That is his mission and his goal for your life. And he is crouching at the door, knocking, saying, you got to take your eyes off of God. You got to put your hope in this other thing. You got to put your happiness in this other thing, first and foremost, because it's going to give you the life. Remember, we said sin is not just about doing the wrong things, but actually having our hearts disordered. So the enemy's attack plan is not a blunt one trying to get us off course. It usually starts in a subtle whisper in our hearts. That's how it started in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say... You can't eat from that tree or you will die. The enemy comes and tries to lie to our hearts to tell us that life is found somewhere else so that our hearts become disordered and we take God out of the center. This is why coveting is often the place where sin starts. It's taking our eyes off of God and what he has for us and allowing our hearts to believe that life is found somewhere else. I kind of like to think of coveting as the more monster. When he knocks at your door, it kind of sounds like if, you've on, if you would only have this, then you'd be happy. The problem is the more monster steals satisfaction and gratitude with what you have been given by God and tells us that true satisfaction will come from somewhere else. More affirmation, more money, more status, more of whatever. So the next time the more monster knocks at your door, wanting to trip you up, 
Let me encourage you to pause for a moment to recognize the lies that he is trying to spread. And instead, take the lies that he is trying to spread and replace that with the truth from God's word. Here are a few Tyson paraphrases straight from scripture that you can use. When he tries to come and say, you need this new thing, you can respond with, God will provide all that I need. When he comes to you and tries to say, if you would just leave your marriage, then you would be happy. You can reply, I can thank the Lord for all that he has given me. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You can reply to the lies that he tries to speak to you, whispering to your heart, telling you there is another way to happiness, another way to hope with the truth of God's word. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When we allow the truth of God's word to speak over our lives, our hearts begin to be rewired and reordered. The lies that the enemy tries to use to disorder our hearts begin to lose their hold on us and our hearts begin to desire what God has for us more and more. When we check who's at the door and it's the more monster, one of the best ways to shut the door on sin is by replacing the lies from our heart with the truth of God's word. The second thing that we can do is we can cultivate a habit of gratitude. If we were to circle back to the Madam Blueberry story from the beginning, one of the characters that we didn't mention when we told her story at the beginning this morning was a character named Annie. And Annie is this little girl in the story who does not have a lot. And so Madam Blueberry looks at her and thinks, she must be so sad. She has very little. Her life must be miserable. But to Madam Blueberry's surprise, this girl is actually happier than Madam Blueberry is with all of her stuff. And Annie starts to sing a song going through all the things that she is thankful for. And don't worry, I won't sing anymore today. But the song ends like this. A thankful heart is a happy heart. I'm glad for what I have. That's an easy way to start. For the love that he shares because he listens to my prayers. That's why I say thanks every day. So at the end of the story, when Madame Blueberry's house has fallen down from all the stuff that she has bought, we see that there has been a perspective shift in her life. Instead of her hope and her happiness being in all those things, when her house falls down, she actually starts to sing the thankfulness song. And I know that this is just talking fruits and vegetables, but the principle still stands. When we cultivate a habit of being grateful each and every day, and thanking God for what he has given to us, it can shift and reorder our hearts. It actually, from a neurological level, rewires our brains, which helps to reorder our hearts and helps us to see all the things that we have to be grateful for instead of believing the lies of the more monster. So when the more monster comes and knocking, if you have built up a habit of gratitude, you can recognize his lies even more easily. If you cultivate that habit of gratitude, what would it look like to start your day by just saying, what are three things that I can be grateful for today, that I can thank the Lord for today? Maybe a good cup of coffee. Maybe that my child slept past 6 a.m. Amen. Maybe the beautiful sunrise that you saw. I don't know what it is for your life, but what would it look like to either start or to end your day with gratitude, to thank the Lord for all that he has given to you? it will actually change our hearts over time if we cultivate that habit. The last thing that we can do is we can ask for help. James 4, 8 says this, come near to God and he will come near to you. 
the truth is that at the end of the day, all of this can only go so far without the Holy Spirit of God empowering and equipping us. We can't will our way towards a new heart and a changed heart. Even if we have perfect habits and know all of the right things, we need the Spirit of God empowering and enabling change in our hearts. Earlier, we sang that hymn, Come Thou Fount, and it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This is the human condition. So if your heart is wandering this morning, you are not alone. If something has tried to drift in and take that first spot in your heart, you're not the only one today. This is a struggle that we all face. And this is why we need moments to pause and to reset our bearings because we can easily drift away from having God as the ultimate thing in our life and allowing some other good thing to take that ultimate spot. And this is why the next line in that song is, take my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We need God's help. And through what Jesus has done on the cross and being raised from the dead, he didn't just set us free from sin, but he also gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit living within us who can transform and change our hearts. A heart that actually desires good things. A heart that is aligned with God's heart. And if we feel that our hearts are being drawn towards the wrong things, one of the simplest ways we can fight this is to ask God for help. God, show me more of your heart. God, I don't even desire the things that I know that I should. Please help me. God, I don't even want to spend time with you. Please help my heart. Pastor Jen earlier this morning prayed this beautiful prayer about seeking the face of God. But what happens if our heart doesn't even want that? We can start with a simple prayer of God, help me to want that. Help me to want your presence. Help me, Lord, to lift my eyes to you and lay aside whatever is trying to take your place in my life. When the more monster knocks at our heart's door, we can replace his lies with the truth. We can cultivate a habit of gratitude, but ultimately we need the Spirit of God breathing life into all of it. And as we draw to a close this morning and as we close this series off, I want to end by asking just a simple question. What if we got these 10 things that we have been talking about this summer right. As we've talked through this series of relationship overrule, we've talked about 10 words that God spoke to Israel a long time ago, but I hope that we've seen this summer that they are still fresh words for us today. God is still speaking to us as his people, calling us to a life with him at the center, not another God, not another idol. He is calling us to a life that looks different from the people around us in this culture. A life where not only our behaviors are shaped and changed, but our very hearts are molded to look more like Jesus. Think about the difference that this would make if we just got these 10 things right. What difference would it make in your homes? For parents in the room, what difference would it make if your kids honored you in your homes? <laughs> what difference would it make in your workplace or your school? What difference would it make in this city if we got these things right? God is giving us these words, not as a list of rules, but as an invitation to relationship. So that in this relationship with the God who made us and has saved us, our lives can then point other people to that same God who desires to be in relationship with them too. What an incredible invitation to be his representatives to this world. 
So as we launch into a new season, church, you are sent to people. God has given you a mission. You're not just going through your days. God has actually given you a purpose for each day to invest in the people around you, to point them to his kingdom and to his love. And may we take this invitation from God and show the world the kind of love and life that God desires for each person on this earth. Amen, church? Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that today you have called us, called us to be your people. doesn't mean that we're people who have it all figured out or that we're perfect, but we know that we need you today. We know that our hearts desire the wrong things sometimes, and we know that we need your help. So today, Lord, if there are things in our hearts that are trying to creep into that central spot, trying to creep in and tell us the lie that if we only had this, then our lives would be better. If we only had this, then our our lives would be fulfilled and happier. I pray that today, Lord, we would be able to see through those things that the enemy tries to whisper to us, to take our eyes off of you, to take our attention and our devotion and our desire away from you. And so, Lord, where we have drifted towards apathy, where we have allowed a slow drift in our hearts and our love for you, today, Lord, we confess that and we say, help us. Help us to have new hearts that beat for you. Help us to have new hearts that want more of you. Help me, Lord, with those things. We need you, God, today. We need your spirit to equip us and to enable us to do these things. And so, Lord, help us to have hearts that are grateful, hearts that reflect on your goodness and all the things that you have poured into our lives so that when the more monster comes of covetousness, we can see through those lies and speak truth. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. Thank you for this church and for this season ahead. Would you equip us and enable us to be your people so that others can see your heart towards them. Amen. If you are uh, new to church or you're new to faith and you want to know more about what following Jesus is all about, we encourage you to text the word LIFE to 250-478-7113 and one of our pastors will be in touch with you. We'd love to walk with you as you kind of start this journey. Uh, We love you, church. And if you're brand new today, uh, Pastor James is just at the back over